ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Gentlemen, I don't even know how to do this. It's been so long. Too long. You know? Like, in early this year, New Edition, all six of them went on tour. You know? Yeah, yeah, we were yeah, waiting yeah. on this forever. You know, we were waiting. All six. When they going to get all six of them on stage and do it right? <laughs> finally, they did it this year. They Finally. You know? <laughs> He makes the new edition comparison. And that's what we've been <laughs> the whole season. We couldn't do it. We couldn't do it. And it's not that we didn't want to. It's right. Not that we didn't either want to. either yeah. I had stuff going on, you had stuff going on, our timings couldn't mesh one way or another, you know, me being in Dallas and so on and so forth. Just so many moving parts that are going on, but most certainly missed you, my brother, even though we're texting each other and haven't been able to do the podcast, you know, uh, just to let people know we are always in communication, no matter what, even if it's quick checking on each other, making sure we're good and so on and so forth. We are brothers for life. So it's good to be back. And man, talk about a season for the Pelicans and just the NBA season as, as a whole, as we're watching the Celtics right now at the same time we're doing the podcast. So, <laughs> so yeah, in case you don't know, this is Hard to Paint, and this is an edition of High Low with Dino, the Dean, Hanson. And um, this, is, this, is the, this is the most pure show whenever we do basketball. This, this is the one that we just don't – I feel the most open and this is just all – it's all out. I don't have to explain nothing. You did it's it. no hole. It's no. no holes barred whatsoever. It's straight basketball. Even when we would get questions when we're talking about basketball and people wanting to know, well, who are we going for, the Pelicans or the Suns? We're like, hold on, hold on, people. We talk basketball. Even though we both reported on the Pelicans, even though I worked for the New Orleans Pelicans for a period of time, we talk basketball. We talk strategy. We talk about who has an advantage here and how to maximize those advantages. So, you know, our loyalty is to the game of basketball. We had relationships and rapport with Monty Williams because there are things that went on behind those scenes that people had no idea that was going on when Dell and when AD was there that Monty had to deal with. So we have a loyalty to Monty, but we also have a rapport with, Willie Green as well. So when I tell you it was a difficult toss-up for me because, yeah, you're rooting for the Pels. You love the tenacity of what they bring. But you also have an affinity and a loyalty to Monty Williams and the disrespect he was shown from the Pelicans at one point in time to the level of success that he's had with Phoenix. And me and Dave telling people when the – sons were in the bubble how they just changed their trajectory and people were like oh man what are you talking about we're like guys we see what the precipice is for the phoenix suns in the bubble and then when they added cp3 monty's job just got even easier so again we talk basketball that's it you know people people think it's the results 
from that bubble thing that is what propelled Phoenix. It wasn't the result. Mm -mm. It wasn't the result. The result was the byproduct of what happened in that time period between the season being paused and them deciding that they were going to ramp up. Monty convinced in that period, a young team that he could, that those dudes could have been like, man, this, this shit is wild. I'm not with this team going around. I'm not with this team concept. I you know don't want to I ain't worried about no basketball. We losing anyway. We ain't even, we, we ain't going to make the playoffs. What we supposed right. to do. Right. You, you got, Devin that, Booker. He got them to say, we could, we're going to use this for what it is. We may not make the playoffs, but we get to use this for what it is. An opportunity to get better. And you got and Devin Booker, did. who everybody looked at as only a guy who was about his numbers, about him. The team had no success, but Devin Booker was on that echelon to be the elite basketball player. Didn't know anything about being efficient. Didn't know anything about trusting his teammates. Monty started to build a culture in the bubble. So that wasn't the end result. That was literally changing the mindset of a team who felt like, hey, man, we got nothing to play for. I'm trying to get a new contract. All I care about is my numbers. Monty they, is back in the coaching again. They had nothing to play for. They figured out, out. They figured out the guys. You figured out. They figured out an error. Who were the guys? They figured out that Booker was the guy that they needed to keep. They figured out that Bridges and Aiton. You know, when you had those pieces, you had the defensive parts that you needed around your elite score. You had a, the big that you needed to protect the paint. You had the wing fo- forward that could guard multiple positions. And then you added the point guard to get Booker those shots, to make everybody's life easier, to run a pick and roll with Aiton, to give Bridges those three-point shots in the corner where he has been the best three-point corner shooter over the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. So then you have that guy who's understanding that. And then you add Jay Crowder, a veteran who, whatever you want to say about him, and Pelicans fans, I understand your opinions, but whatever one you say about him, there was a time when he would have been the perfect player for the New Orleans Pelicans. Mm-hmm. That you would have Bro. wanted that physical presence, a guy who can yep. guard the three in the four spot, who can make the open three when it's time to, and is not going, and it, it can also get on people's nerves. You have to have an mm-hmm. asshole. Who is your mm-hmm. asshole? The Pelicans have their asshole now. That's Herb Jones. And we'll talk about Herb specifically later, but just mm-hmm. they built those parts or everything else. Cam Johnson. We need a long shooter. Yep. Not in the backcourt. We're good in the backcourt. Booker 6'4, 6'5. Chris can knock down threes. We need a long wing shooter. Cam Johnson. That's sustainability. That's sustainability that you need. That's not going to be a liability. That's going to give you the intangible play that you need. That's going to give you the extra 50-50 ball. That's going to be able to knock down a shot when necessary. Also able to go to the free throw line and make free throws because people don't realize how many games come down to free throws being made or missed that also elevates your team. You know, it's, you know, it's unfortunate that it's such a lost art form in that it's like, guys, it's free. You stand there and get two tries, best case scenario, 
of getting easy buckets with no defense whatsoever that can win you games down the stretch. How many teams that we've seen where the game is tight and guys can't make free throws and they lose the game, man. So they started putting together a team that word specifically a team of guys who were able to cross each other in the sense of, Hey, I know I can count on JaVale McGee every night to give me them eight, nine minutes. And he's good with those eight and nine minutes, but it's going to be impactful eight, nine minutes. We know we got McHale coming off. Let's go ahead and add a backup guard like a Landry Shaman. So again, they started to build a team, which is done in the front office. And that's the other thing is that the front office was also uh, structurally cohesive with Monty and the staff and the team. He also gave the players on the court like a CP3 in that it's like, hey, dude, the man is mastery at what he does. Whether people like him, dislike him, when you talk about a true essence of a point guard and a leader, he doesn't have to put up numbers. His job is to make my team better. That's what you want in your point guard. You want a guy who's a leader, who's an extension of your head coach. We've talked about it before in previous podcasts that people have heard us talk about. And they haven't. Welcome to the podcast. But, bro, we talked about Coach Rob. We knew Coach Rob was that leader, but we also had an extension and that conduit to Coach Rob where he wanted you to be able to think and know the game, not just, you know, based upon what it feel the game. How do you do? What can you do? And it's not just about scoring. What do you do to help make your team better? We've talked about it for years when it came to Pels. Don't take the great shot. That could be a missed shot. Get a better shot. That's the good shot. That's the right shot. That's going to elevate your team and keep everybody engaged. And that's what, you know, it was definitely a fun series across the board, even when it comes to, well, the Suns are struggling with the eight seed people put the numbers out of the landscape of it all. Because once you get to the playoff, it's thank you, Dave. It is the matchups. The Pels excelled. The Pels excelled because of the matchup, because, because, and even though we were very hard on David Griffin and people got to understand something, I don't know why we live in a society where if you go hard on somebody, oh man, you're hating. No. It's called accountability. So we were very hard on David Griffin, but no question when he made some of the changes of getting CJ up in there, you started to build a team. And we're going to get to those. We're going to get to those. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I got, we're going to get to that. You know, but. But, but I want to stick with the series first because the, the series is the. the matchups. It, and the matchups were to me, and I've said this no matter where, who's asked me, is I thought that was the best first round matchup possible. For the Pelicans is that you wanted a team a that knew you, all your shit. Monty knows everything Willie does. Willie and knows Willie everything Monty. Everything does. Monty, yes, sir. They, it was a so, chess match. Man. So practice now. You've simplified at least that part for your coach. Willie, that part for Willie is like yes, all right. You know, because you're prepping for the playoffs, but you at least I know I know these people. Mm-hmm. So strategically, Willie's confidence is up. And that's yep. what I want for my rookie coach. That's what I'm thinking. In his first yep. series, yeah, his emotions are conflicted here, but he's got some confidence in knowing this group. He knows mm-hmm. what he's got to deal with here. He's, he doesn't know Taylor, um, you know, uh, her, 
um, whatever. Uh, uh, in, in, Taylor uh, Jenkins. Taylor Jenkins. Yeah, he doesn't know Taylor Jenkins' tendencies as well as he knows Monty's. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have the athletes, the depth that Memphis has. Mm-hmm. He knows what Phoenix can and can't do physically. He knows, he knows what they them. Want to do. Up he and down knew that Phoenix. Rock. He knew Phoenix like the back of his hand because he had been there. So this was a boxing recently. match in my mindset, and the way I characterize it is. Phoenix is the lumbering heavyweight. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That their job is they're forming. I'm coming body, body, body. And then I'm, if I'm work you. And then when I'm ready, I'm knocking you down. This is not going long, it, but it's going to feel like it went a long time because you're going to take mm-hmm. so many blows over the course of this. For the, for the Pelicans, you're Ali. Jab. I got a jab. I can't get hit because I'm not big. Mm-hmm. But what can I do? I can use my speed. I can make you run. I can make you come find me. I can mm-hmm. keep you in around this ring and you've got to keep following me. And you don't want to do that. You yeah. want me to stand still. You want me to be in the corner so you can pummel me. But yeah. I'm going to keep moving. And that was the whole genesis of that series. I mean, not the, that's the story of that series. Because when Phoenix was able to impose its will and make the game stop, and make every possession go deep into the shot clock. You're not mm-hmm. going to out-execute Phoenix if you're the Pelicans. You don't have the Absolutely. experience. You don't have the, the collective IQ. You don't have the highest intelligence player on the floor. Mm-hmm. So you can't out-execute that group. Absolutely. But when you are in transition, thinking is now not a part of it. You've eliminated right. thinking. You've created mm-hmm. just reacting. And so then your instincts, your muscle memory as an athlete take over. I know the ball goes here. I know this goes here. I'm in comfortable position. I can lift and shoot with because your everything is in rhythm. I'm not thinking about where they're coming from, who my responsibilities are, and this that that that. And when the Pelicans got the transition, they won. it's fluid and it's just the game happening. There's no thought processing whatsoever. You get out in transition. Now you're just playing basketball, man. You're just running. That's what you do. You are loose. You're just allowing, like you mentioned, the muscle memory, the instincts that you have as a basketball player to just take over. That's all that you are doing. And any coach, any good coach will tell you that when your team is in the position where they don't have to think or start to overthink situations, you're freer. It builds your confidence because then you see the residuals that come along with that. So that same confidence that Willie Green had as a coach, you could see how it became extremely infectious to the rest of the players on that Pelicans basketball team. They started to believe, holy shit. We looked up and we're like, dude, we're right here in this game. Like we're actually battling the best team in basketball. And anybody who knows anything, whether it's in business, whether it's in life, whether it's in sports, you get a little taste of success that breeds consistency. And you saw there was that thing. I mean, Jose said it really well, you know, when he and Chris Paul started getting into it in game four, I think it was game four. Mm -hmm. Um, And he said, look, this isn't personal. It's just basketball. I know who that is. Mm Mm-hmm. I am aware that that's the greatest point guard of his generation at the very least. Right. I know this, but 
when you step on the court, reputations ain't there. You got to prove it all over again. Every every time you games, step on the floor, it's a different, time. completely. None of what happened yesterday matters. None of that matters. We got to play today. And for these 48 minutes, you're just the dude across from me. You got to prove me, you're Chris Paul. Trying, trying to prevent me to get where I want to go. That's all you are at this moment. And, and here's so, what I think about it. The same way that city embraced Jose, if Jose was on Phoenix's team, because by the way, uh, there is a page that Jose has stolen from. It's called Patrick Beverly. And we know how much everybody hates Patrick Beverly. Why? Because he gets under your skin. Jose was doing the same thing. So if Jose wasn't playing for the Pelicans, guess what? They'd be hating Jose as well. He knew his niche. He found his niche. And that's what he's supposed to do. That's exactly his job. That's his job. When you are a 5'9"-ish, 5'10 point guard, undrafted rookie, the only way you are going to stay on the floor is by playing defense first. And you you must every night play defense. The dog. The, you and have to have the dog in you. He, it, he, that is his first, his last, his everything. Brandon Ingram has a role, right? Yes. Prime example. Brandon Ingram has a role. JV had a role. Trey had a role. Everybody on that team had a specific role. Well, what do you think Jose's role was? To be a defensive agitating dog and to bring the enthusiasm into that Smoothie King Center. Keep, every tempo, chance. Keep the tempo going. That's His it. job is that he's the, he's the metronome when he's in the court. You're supposed to That's follow it. Jose's rhythm because yep. he's keeping it up. He's keeping the pace going because he, that's the natural tendency of this team is to slow down. That's what it wants. It, it feels like because they are not, you still don't have the, a full confidence because it's still a group learning each other. You have a lot of people learning roles and learning the NBA. This is a team that did not, you know, most of these guys want for the stretch run, rookies, rookies, traded guys, you know, it's, and Brandon Ingram and Valanciunas and Jackson are the real consistent parts of that, of having been together, at, you know, at least had some continuity over the course yes. of the season. So mm-hmm. it's to have that, yes, you need to simplify things offensively. That's what you're trying to do is simplify it offensively. And that the best way to do that is one, play defense, and two, that defense creates transitional opportunities for you on offense, which means you get to shoot earlier in the clock and shots taken earlier in the clock when the before the defense sets are typically better shots. Not pull up stupid transition shot. I'm talking about good shot early in the first five to seven seconds. That's where the seven seconds of less principle comes from is if you are getting a good shot within seven seconds, the percentages of it are much higher than they are the further you go along in the shot clock. And because you are in that transitional period and that defense can't ever get set, that if a shot does come off because you're in transition, that allows you more opportunities to get second chance buckets, to get rebounds. The wrong people are matched up on the rebound on the glass. There you you go. Guards boxing out. And that's the, the game that Devin Booker gets hurt in. You know, in game two, when the Pelicans win, the game gets hurt is because Jackson Hayes is out running there. And yeah. the, Pel- the biggest mistake that in that whole first half when the Pelicans started 
playing really well in that, that game is that they were able to get their bigs out, and it was Chris Paul out there. It was Devin Booker back there. It was the wrong people. And Monty, mm-hmm. they went to the huddle, and they go, Monty's talking about first three steps backward are the most important steps. We got to be ahead of them after the first three steps. And that yep. wasn't happening. So your guards are back there against bigs. Mm-hmm. That's not what you want in transition. But it's that's the whole point. Well is, that's what the Pelicans have to had to create. And they didn't mm-hmm. do that in games five or six enough. And that's what mm-hmm. that's ultimately decided that is they weren't able to generate tempo um, for a number of reasons, but they were never able to get it back in their favor. And what hindered that, especially in game six, was Chris Paul started doing Chris Paul things and controlling the flow of the game. And Dick, knowing that the Pels wanted to get out, Chris made sure that that didn't happen by making it a point to come down each time offensively, making the Pels have to play defense and making sure that Phoenix got good shots. No longer, hey, hold on, we're Phoenix. Why are we chasing them? Why are we playing their game? Make them, whether they want to or not, play the way we want to play. I know I need to come down and orchestrate everything that goes on, making them play defense, and that's what he started to do in that game six. And this is what we've talked about before in the past with the Pels, having somebody who is a leader on that team that has the poise that you need, that know how to execute and know when to push it, excuse me, and when to pull it back. And again, the guy is masterful at what he does. He just, the man is a basketball savant. His IQ level of the game of basketball is on a whole different level. Take into consideration also, everywhere the man has gone, they've made the playoffs and they win. How many players can actually say that they've had that kind of fingerprint and pulse on the game that even with teams like an OKC who just was just trying to get by, all of a sudden they're a playoff team. Why? Because the man is an orchestrator. And were a threat. They weren't just a playoff team. They were a threat in that first round series. A shot here or there, and they move on, bro. You're talking about a James – remember James Harden's fingernail. That's what we're talking about, James Harden's fingernail. You know, so, yeah, the Pels, are, the Pels fans are supposed to support and root for their team, which is also funny because you kept on hearing, man, we've never seen the Smoothie King Arena like this before. And I'm thinking to myself, were y'all not there with Rajon Rondo, AD? And I'm like, Dave, you and I have been in the Smoothie King Center when it was a Red Sea filled in the Smoothie King Center as if the Pels had never made the play. The Pels had been in the playoffs before. That same energy is what we've talked about that needs to be consistent in the fan base because they have been there before. And you see on certain nights, like during the playoffs, where as the player you don't have the energy, those fans give you that extra boost that you I mean, need. The same way Jose would give you a boost is the same way those fans give you a boost as a player. I mean, that's that's the extra win of this season, though, I think, is that the coalescing of Pelicans fans in a lot of ways and them coming together, doing watch parties, doing going to 
you know, mm-hmm. bars and it's, as groups and things like that is showing up at the in the game as groups of their own, not because the, the organization did it. It was on right. their own. They took control of that. And, and the fans forced the organization to make some changes in how they dealt with the city. Because I think the fans were like, okay, you don't know what you're doing. We've been telling y'all for years that you talk to us like you're not from here. You don't Bro. respect us. And hey. you, you are indifferent to, to what we want to experience when we come in a Smoothie King Center. So we you don't start telling us. You never embraced us. You never made us feel like there's an actual NBA team here in this city. And Dave, how long had you and I been preaching this? There was no galvanizing coalition of connectivity to the city. The city started to hold the Pels organizations accountable the same way we have talked about it. It's nobody hating on this. No, it's called accountability, man. Accountability. So, yeah, I think the biggest thing was, you know, you saw when the Pelicans were in transition is that when they had their advantages, that's what got Devin Booker injured. That's what, you know, the games that they won, they scored 125 and 118, mm-hmm. right? That means that you are that you are creating tempo because typically for the Pelicans during the season, they were most successful defensively is when they were holding teams down. But against the Suns, that wasn't going to work because they do that better than you. Yep. So you can't beat them doing what they do. You have to beat them doing what you can do better than them. That's run. So game six, Pelicans had 58 points in the first half. They finished with 109 because of some filler points. Final score, 115 to 109. During that whole series, I said 115 was going to be the number. The, 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 the Suns did not score more than 115 in any game. And that was in game six. Mm-hmm. Every game the Pelicans won, they scored more than 115. And in the games that they lost, they either scored under 100 or they gave up almost 115. The threshold had to be higher for the Pelicans in order for them to elevate. And that means that they were creating the style of play at the tempo in which they wanted. They're, they controlled the pace of play. They got into Phoenix's offensive players and made them uncomfortable. They picked them up early and got into their space, which, as we've talked about many a times before, the one thing offensive players hate is for somebody to be in their space. Even if you're not blocking a shot, even if a player makes a shot, if you're making it difficult on that offensive player to score and them having to work, it becomes cumbersome. It's that's a why, frustrating level. That's why Herb Jones and Trey Murphy and Jose are so effective defensively as rookies is because they understand scores don't like space. I mean, don't, mm-hmm. don't like the absence of space. Herb don't is like excellent at that. Herb closes space as well as any veteran in the league. Trey uses his length to take away space. Jose uses his body to take away that space. So those are the reasons that those guys stay on the floors because they understand that principle first and foremost is to make a score uncomfortable. And that's what the Pelicans mindset. That's what got them to the playoffs is that playing in that manner, playing yes. in, in a manner that we, we may not be as talented as this team, or we may not be that this, this, this it's never comes down to, to the overall collection of skill. You need talented players. 
Absolutely. But if you're going to win, it has to be a commitment to what you are doing. And the, those guys are committed, committed to playing defense, whether they're scoring the ball or not. They play defense. Their effort, their work ethic, their tenacity, their intestinal fortitude of taking it. So something you and I talked about forever. And I used to tell people, I'm like, dude, you take it personal when you play defense. Take it personal that this individual has told you without them even saying anything that they think they can score on you. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because they've literally insulted you by saying, you ain't stopping me. I do whatever I want. So are you going to take it personal? And that's what these young fellas did. They started taking it personal. And then you have a head coach who is also championing you to take it personal, who wants you to take it personal, who don't want you to just go on the court because you got a uniform on. No. What are you going to do to affect the game and the outcome when you are on the court? Give me what you got. I thought that ultimately the series was great because, um, again, this was the Pelicans looking into the mirror of, uh, you know, like a, a funhouse mirror and what you're supposed to look like when you grow up. Mm-hmm. They, they, that's who they got to play for six games, what they are supposed to be when they grow up. What they Not can the be. the exact become. same way. They won't do it the exact same way. But who can but who they can elevate to, who they can become. That's the, that's the goal. If you had played Minnesota, you don't nah. want to be like Minnesota. Definitely learn bad like ha- Minnesota's bad habits. You don't want to learn terrible. Terrible. You don't, you don't you're not testing yourself against Minnesota. You're no. playing some games. If you're going up against Memphis, that's the team again, as good as Memphis is, and I love Memphis watching them play. I love them. Mm-hmm. They're still learning how to win. They don't know what yeah. real winning is. Yeah. Phoenix has been there. They've been yep. to the finals. They've been that close. You got to look into the mirror of the team that had the best road record and the best home record in the NBA. You got to it's look at the mirror of the team that didn't lose three games in a row all season all long. All season long. Okay? It's a blueprint to who you can and want to become. And you got to watch it. And they were physical with you. They were petty. They were dirty at times. Yes, that's the playoffs. And you got to see it against, like, you got to watch the old man at the Y pull out all the tricks that he had. It's the smarts, man. It's and the smarts. You got to see, that's what they needed. It, this was, you know what I mean? This, this was, they needed to do this. They needed the shadow box for six games with the team that was going to be the best example for them going forward. They mm-hmm. can watch that film this offseason, and they will get better from watching that film alone. You will get to see those moments. You'll get to see the subtle ads, you know, ads on the screen that those veterans add, that to hold you a little bit longer. You'll see where they put that hand placement to keep you from getting that sh- rebound that you really wanted. You will see how Chris turns the corner a little bit easier when he's coming off that pick and roll because he's got you pushed down. Those are How much tighter – how much tighter it is when he comes off of those screens that doesn't allow space for you to get over the top and get in between them, that you're now trailing them on that particular play. It's those little fine-tuning points that separates winning and losing. It's not just Devin Booker running off of the screen, but how tight is he coming off of that screen? 
That how did you set it up? How long yeah. did you hold it? Those fractions of a second matter. Those yep. things, you know, there was a critical, you know, one on Jonas, a foul on Jonas. When he opened up too early on his screen, they called it for the moving screen and it, it killed a possession. Those things you cannot forget in those moments. That's that's the test. That's the test of the champion is what do you do? Do you rely on what you, you know, understand what you trust and can you do it? Mm-hmm. Can you pull it off? Can you pull off the things Execute. that you have to do Ex- in those critical moments? Execute it. Execution is the key to winning games. But that and- wasn't a failure for me. That series was not a failure for me. Oh. They they weren't supposed to be there. They could have, yeah, you could have won it. You could have, but it wasn't still wasn't likely. It was still Pelicans, wasn't likely. The outcome of what the Pels did should be uplifting and a motivating factor yes. going forward. Because now you've got a Larry Nance, you've got a CJ McCollum, you've got guys who are saying, Hey man, I want to be here. I like being here now. You have never, Dave, in all the years that we have covered the Pelicans, you've never heard players saying that. Never. You couldn't get a free agent to even come into New Orleans unless you eat food. You know, yeah, unless you're just throwing money at them. Okay. And then you get no productivity from them after you've thrown the money at them. Okay. Dave, you got guys who are now bought into and fans who feel connected with this team and the players on this particular team, dude. We've talked about this for years. Again, the same things that everybody are seeing now and are happy and pleased with is exactly what you and I have been stating and wanting accountability on for years. They needed grown-ups. They needed grown-ups. They added grown-ups this season. They added five grown-ups, in my opinion. Five. And in that, I mean, by adding CJ... CJ became the adult in the room who could, who is not the, a one. CJ is not the number one. No, he's player. not a one. But but he but. is the one who could finally vocalize to Brandon Ingram. Hey, man, I've been scoring points in this league for a minute. Mm-hmm. Here's, let's make your job a little bit easier, bro. Mm-hmm. Here's what we do. Because, I, you know, my thing has been, Drew is not a communicator. That's not his That's not. Woo, and he's not a lead guard. Drew is neither a communicator nor a lead guard. That is not his – he can do many things. That ain't it. So you put that with Brandon his first year. And Lonzo, who is, again, not a communicator. Lonzo is not a verbal guy. That is not what you're going to get from him. You're not going to get direct strategies in the game. They're not directors. CJ is a director as well. He points you in the right direction also, bro. That's what this team needed. We've talked about this forever, bro. It, you know – it literally became so redundant saying the same things over and over and over. And now all of a sudden you get it. And everybody's like, oh, you're like, yeah, this is what we've been saying and harping on for five, six years now. You needed a legitimate backup for Larry Nance enters the picture. A guy who finishes on the offensive glass, a guy who can Mm -hmm. shoot the corner three, who creates steals as a four and can defend the four five and sometimes the three spot. If you get mm-hmm. him in with the right matchup, a veteran who has been a great defensive player on every team he's been on, even teams that were horrendous defensively. Like when those Lakers teams that he started with were right. bad, when he was on the court, they were 
great. Like their numbers <laughs> would turn to great because he is a very smart. And again, you're talking about a guy whose father was a professional. Had played with some of the most, you know, talented defensive teams. When you talk about being being with Brad Doherty and Ron Harper and um, Steve Kerr and um, Mark Price and those dudes, all Price, fundamental yeah. sound, you know, mm-hmm. defensive groups. And you talk about, and he he learned how to be a pro. They had played in Phoenix for all those years. I mean, look. Larry Nance Jr. understands the game. C.J. McCollum played four years of college ball, understands the game. You know, Herbert Jones played four years of college ball, understands the game. All those guys who contributed this year, the biggest contributions on the team came from guys who had experience. Even Josh Hart before he was traded. Josh Hart was a guy who played three years at Villanova, who came in and was your oldest rotational player before C.J. got there. He was your oldest mm-hmm. rotational player, so um, and, and the main leader of your team. He was the spirit. He's the reason to me. Josh Hart is the reason the, te- the season turned around from a player perspective. When he said it doesn't matter who's not here, when he said that, we know when everybody kept asking about Zion, he's like, no, doesn't matter who's not here. It doesn't matter how young we are. The losing has to stop. This that's enough. And when Josh Hart did that. We had heard people say it. Brandon Ingram last year had said, remember, I got to bust everybody's ass that's in front of me. And he didn't do that. He didn't do that. But this year, I think it started to me. That moment when Josh Hart said, it don't matter. There's no excuses for us. We got to start winning. This 1-12 is not on us being young. This 3-13 thir- and 13 ain't on us being young. You know, 3-22 and 22 ain't on us being young. It's about us doing the right things on the court. And that, that to me, changed everything. It changed the landscape. It changed the mindset. It started to hold teammates accountable to the point that you're like, dude, aren't you tired of going out here and getting your asses busted? I'm sick of this. I can't take it no more. And you see, if you don't have that in you that you just get tired of freaking losing, and you don't say something, and you don't do something, I got a problem with that. I got a problem with that. I don't like getting my ass beat in nothing. And this is what we're putting on the floor, and I got guys with me that's supposed to be ballers. Supposed to, dude, I got to know when we go in that foxhole together that y'all going to be right there going at it. We might not, we may not win the war, but mother, we going to battle. We going to battle. And that's what you didn't have before. You just had guys showing up. They you were saw playing no basketball. They weren't we competing. saw no emotions from the guys on the bench. You saw no engagement. You saw no level of frustration. What did that start to do? That started to build this mindset of, dude, we're winners. Okay, you know what? Don't worry about winning five in a row. Let's just win one. Now that we got one, Let's win another. Wait, hold on, dude. We got two, three in a row. Now, hold on. We're working with something now. It starts to build that psyche to say, we're not a loser, man. And you Let's saw them. keep building. They just transferred. I mean, again, this season, during the regular season and the two playing games, they went 26 and six when they held teams under 105 points. That's a mentality. That's a mentality. Yep. That's, that is your identity, is that you have to be. That's the tone. And that's a pace to win 66 games in a season. Now, you ain't going to do that every night. Look, this is the NBA. Right. People are going to shoot well. Absolutely not. But if, you, if you've shown that you can put that up 30 games a season, 
Now you got to do it 60. You know what I'm saying? That's that's the difference. That's when you get to be elite in the NBA is you got to do it 60 games a season, 70 games a season defensively. Off your right. offense will come, your offense will go. And this is a team that has all the and we're gonna and we're gonna break that down a little bit, but they have all the offensive abilities you could want on this roster. It's, it's not deficient as far as the number of scorers. You got four 20-point scorers in my mind. You got right. at least two guys. And Trey Murphy and Herb Jones, who could be double-figure scorers for you consistently next year, obviously. Um, you have scoring. Mm-hmm. But what you need is guys who will consistently defend to make you yeah. a championship team. That's, That's it. just like another thing. That's like another thing when I saw people that were also commenting about, why aren't we playing Jose more and sooner and earlier? Let me tell you some people. You don't know the energy it takes to do that for such a sustained period of time and to be able to do that an entire game. That is work. Now I will say, do you think that Willie made a mistake in the second half of game six by not, by not putting him in Alvarado from the beginning of the third, resting him in the third, but starting the third by keeping that pressure, you have a 10 point lead 12, you know, going into the half. Keep that pressure on immediately because you know you're at home. This is your last shot at home. You got mm-hmm. there is no game seven unless you win game six. You have to dominate that third quarter to not allow Phoenix to feel like they can win game seven. Game there six. were there were a few things that I did have in question in regards to Dub G uh, adjusting, if you will. No question, you knew. Knowing who Phoenix was, the things that they do in the second half and the adjustments that Monty makes, who is a extreme tactician, you have to give the man the highest amount of credit for. He is a hell of a tactician when it comes to strategy in the second half. And in that situation with a veteran team like that, you had to keep your foot on that gas pedal and keep pushing and pressing the situation to, because you couldn't take Phoenix's will away, but you could have them second guessing some things and making them press on. And make them concede, because there's yes. a point with a veteran team that if they've got, they know they've got game seven at home, where they'll just go, all right, all right, we, ain't, we don't have it tonight. Night. It's not our night. Our night. They're at home, their fans are raucous, we'll get them back at home. We, and we gave Book some minutes to see if he could go. We could sit yeah. him down now. He'll be ready for seven. We're yeah. good to go. And that's yeah. what they were really trying to do. That's why they yeah. brought Book back in game six was to see if we the got to play a game would seven. What they look like for game seven. Yeah. So they would have yeah. pulled him if he couldn't play. They would have mm-hmm. pulled him in the first half. If he couldn't go, they would have said, like, no, no, we're going to keep you a hold. You'll come back for seven. You're not ready right. yet. Right. But that's what the whole goal was. So they were willing if they were if that third quarter, I believe that the Pelicans had extended that lead from 10 to 18 to 20. By midway through the third, I think Willie says, pull the plug. I mean, not Willie. Uh, Monty says, Monty would have said, all right, Chris needs to rest. Book needs to rest. We're not going to go all out for game six and still lose as opposed to let's go ahead, save it. Let's move on to game seven. We know we got him at home. We close this deal at home when we got a full book and we've got CP who's been rested. We're good. But yeah, the fact that 
they looked up and Phoenix was right back in the game, made Monty go, you know what? Let's go ahead and close this sucker out here if we can. Yeah, you. I mean, you Let's... give up a 30-plus point third quarter. You give up 67 in the second half. You, now it's easy. It, be, it yeah. got to be easy for Phoenix. If people can talk about, well, yeah, Chris goes into God mode and makes 14 to 14. Where were those shots taken, though? Taken. Those were <laughs> shots that he wanted to take. They were in the mid-range. They were yep. layups that weren't touched. They were open yep. threes. He was getting the looks that he wanted. So you give a guy the looks that they want. Great players are going to play great, especially when you put you give them extra advantages of not deterring them from getting to where they want to be. Absolutely. Now, this is going to be a, a, a first, possibly, and I and, and, you know, and I'm in, and I'm going to enjoy this uh, as well as the listeners because you know we've had many listeners to be like. Man, you know, you and D-Grub, or D-Grub, you and Dino, you know, you guys always see it alike. But the thing about it, what people don't realize is the fact that you and I don't ever discuss in advance what we're going to talk about. Never. We just jump on and do what we do. So I think this might be the first time that we're going to disagree on something. Okay. So I want to talk about, real quickly, the aggressive fouling situation, if you will, that started to show itself in game six where the Pels felt like they could out-muscle and out-shove and out-physical Phoenix, and Phoenix decided, no, what we're going to do is we're going to outsmart you. And it got to a point where everybody in the arena started to complain mm-hmm. about every little mm-hmm. tactician of a plate that CP3 was doing. One mm-hmm. in particular where Jose starts running around, look at my lip. He buddied my lip. He hit me with his shoulder. Here's the thing about this. And I want people to look at the plate. And of course they're not going to, that's why I always say, you see me say before, transfer the jerseys. That's like when Jackson Hayes threw Jay Crowder out of bounds, was far from a basketball player. Oh, it was a pump, was but it, was a, it wasn't even it, it, to me. Go ahead, go ahead. But no, I'm just, here's the thing about it. Jackson Hayes did not make a basketball play. If you flip the jerseys around, every person in that Smoothie King Center would have lost their mind if Jay Crowder or somebody had done that to Jackson Hayes or a Pelicans fan. Everybody, you're supposed to root for your team and support your team. But that wasn't a basketball play. That was him getting caught up in the hype of the game and making a bonehead decision. In the Chris Paul situation where Jose gets hit with Chris's shoulder, let me help a lot of people out. And that's why I even put up what a foul is in the game of basketball, okay? When Chris elbow, when Chris's shoulder bust Jose Alvarado's lip. I cracked up laughing because I knew what Pels fans were going to start saying. And then Jose running around the court, showing everybody his busted lip and crying, dude, 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 stop. Here's the thing about it. You see, when you play aggressive defense all the time, you put yourself in a position that those things will happen. Now, what Chris did is, as he's going to the hole, 
The ball is on the right side of his body as he's getting ready to pick it up. I can't remember if it was Herb or if it was Trey who reached for the ball. Chris snatched the ball and his body turned that way. And because Jose plays defense so hard and so aggressive, he literally forced that action of his lip being busted. And you see, I get so tired of hearing fans who don't know the game that literally want to bring up things. So what do you think? Nature. I'm disagreeing with that. Okay. Hold on, hold on. I don't disagree with that. Okay. All right. So, because here's my thing, dude, when you play that type of intensity and you are aggressive and hard all the time and you're trailing somebody and my body, I think, well, my thing is you hear fans go, well, that player knew what he was doing. Let me tell you something. As a player, we are doing what we naturally do as a player. So Chris, so Chris's movement of that basketball to prevent Herb or Trey or whoever it was that reached for it of them stripping the ball from him was his natural basketball move as he's going up to lay the basketball up. I felt like that was a point. It's like, Jose, you're doing too much right now, bro. Just keep playing. That's for him. Exactly. Keep playing because you got to keep doing this anyway. You have to keep playing your way. And to me, once you start showing, well, you're not rewarding me for playing this way, then I think the refs, refs don't like that. Yeah. But they do like his aggression. They will reward you for aggression. The Pelicans got Absolutely. a lot of foul calls. They, but, people got to remember, they got a, the Pelicans got a lot of calls in their ooh, favor. A shitload of calls. But, uh, but now it makes it seem like you're trying to show the officials up now. You cannot do that. You can't. You, you can't won't never win that way. Do it. It never works. Never. It and never I think that was his works. mistake. I didn't mind Herb's foul. Like I said, I do not mind what Herb did when he fouled Chris Paul. I, don't, I thought that was what you do. Chris had shoved him. He looked at the ref. The ref didn't do nothing. So Herb said, well, I got to do this. This is what this it, it was straight up. It was man to man. I see what you did. You're going to get this. You take it. But here's the funny thing about that. Okay, but here's the funny thing about that. You also heard the buffoonery when Jackson threw Jay out of bounds. Well, hey, if the official didn't call it, it no, was not different. the foul. But it was different. Go, no, 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 no. But, but, but what I'm saying is that, do you know how many times play, not saying you, but fans, there are so many times in the game that fouls are not called and you don't hear a fan go, well, if it didn't get called, it must not have been a foul. Are you crazy? Are you crazy? That is such an asinine statement to make to begin with. They didn't, they well, didn't it, call the response. That's not what it was, is that, you're talking about in that situation, Jax comes up and he does that. Well, the pl- you got an inbounds happening. You know, I mean, the rebound happening at the same time. All these things are going on. The refs, refs miss that shit a lot. You miss that shit a lot. You miss that shit a lot. First contact. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes you do. Like, yeah, you're saying he did push the shit out of him for no reason. He did. But whether it was called a foul initially doesn't matter because it's the same thing with Chris Paul kicking Jose in the nuts and getting his flagrant. Didn't matter. It wasn't called a foul then at the time. It was a foul. That's what it was. And if it's egregious, then that's their job is to go and deal with that. You can't have that unnecessary stuff. And what Jax did was dirty. Like his was the difference was his pure was dirty. Pure D dirty. He didn't come pure straight up. Now you can we can argue with Crowder or somebody else, but that's not your team. 
all you can control as a player is what you do. You can't control yep. what the refs call. You can't control what the other player does. But you can control what you do. And in those yeah, the crazy thing about it is, the crazy thing about it is, he didn't even make an action as a, because let me say so. I've done it before where I've shoved guys, but at least I faked and threw my hands up like I was going for a rebound. Even though I know I wasn't nowhere as near going for a fucking rebound, I elbowed this cat specifically because of the fact that this guy was agitating me, but I acted like I was making a basketball play and I went to the rim. Dude, he did none of it. He threw him, and then he looked around as if to say, yeah, that's probably going to be a foul. Well, hell, you know it's going to be a foul. (laughs) Like, bro. I want to run through some things with you. Then I want to get your thoughts on them. So let's go. Well, look at that. I was wrong then. I'm sorry, fans. Uh, Dave and I did agree on the uh, Jose shoulder thing because it was a basketball play. So I thought Dave might disagree with me on that. No, he didn't need to do all that. I I just thought he was, I thought Jose needed, and that's what you're a rookie too, dude. Just, just keep playing, just keep going. He showed his hand, is what he did. He showed it bothered him. No, it's not wrestling. You can't play to the crowd in that situation. It's the NBA playoffs. It's not wrestling. And I think that, but that's I think that's a young man's mistake. And I think that's that's something that he'll learn from. And I, um, you know, and I definitely give it to him. But I was addressing that because I've seen so many people on Twitter. Oh, that was this. I was like, people, you know. And a lot of times, I do my best to not even engage in Twitter, like talking about it anymore, bro. Because I'm just like, y'all really have no idea what man, this play, game is about. You play post defense, and you will come back scratches and dude there are dudes who play in the nba and who have talked about this and it goes it was in colleges and it depends on who you played against and there are dudes who did this at the park long fingernails on purpose so that when y'all play in the post they can scratch you they scratch you make you bleed you come out bleeding and that stuff don't get called for a foul you don't get called for a foul i mean it's just there's there's so much that you don't see as far as contact that doesn't get called that's just part of the message and you just have to be better at it. CJ was terrible at it when he did his. That's the last one I'm going to talk about. CJ's was obvious. It's like you you, you extended it out. Well, you got to come all the way. You got to roll all the way through it. If you're going to push that guy, he needed to keep going his body all the way on top so it never looked like he extended. But he made it look it's a certain. It's a certain savviness that you have. It's a certain way you play you the game. You ain't. You can't be. There you, you go. You can't there you go, man. Herb was the only dude in that situation that I think he's a hey. That's the same. He plays the same as he would on a, on on the blacktop and back home. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. What, what 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 Jax did that would started a fight on the playground. Oh, dude, it started a fight. A fight. A, a fight, fight is an understatement. We, dude, somebody's dude. going. Somebody's going down. All right, let's get. I'm. He's gonna do these. Uh, I want to ask you these. Okay, we just go back and judge a few things. Okay. Okay, you get let's start with some Griff decisions. Because I think everybody is now on the praise Griff completely, but I think you have to grade things in in whole, the whole here. The whole absolutely the whole totality of it. So you start with the Lonzo sign and trade. I still think that that has shown that they lost that deal. It's not about keeping Lonzo ultimately, but you lost that deal because you gave up a first in return for Devontae Graham, who did not play up to what you expected third straight season of decline in shooting numbers for Devonte. He was almost unplayable and quite frankly was unplayable for certain yeah, well, stretches yeah. of the season. And Garrett mm-hmm. Temple, Sadoransky, 
Sadoransky's only value was in a trade, and Temple had no value over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. I so, agree. 100%. 100%. What do you do with Devontae Graham? I think they're going to bring him back. I think they're going to bring him back to allow him to maybe, because for some reason, I think Willie is going to say, bring him back. I really believe Willie's going to say, bring him back based upon the fact that you saw some spurts here or there. His level of consistency has been nowhere near anything of any substance whatsoever, but they're going to look at it from the standpoint of, Look at who we are now. Look at what we're building. And he's somebody who has now been a part of this culture change. You don't want to make too many moves too quickly, building, building something that guys are going to be connected to. And if nothing else, you wait until a trade deadline next year. I think the only issue, like, I, I don't know what Devontae adds to your rotation next year and where he fits. Um, you, if you keep him, you have to play him. The problem is, is that you still have a lot of very small, your backcourt is very small. If you don't replace him, you still, CJ is your biggest guard. Mm-hmm. You got Cairo who's coming off injury, who's still a relative rookie and is not a shooter and is not right. somebody who can run your offense in the half court. Mm-hmm. Jose is still in a, a second, you know, an undrafted rookie free agent. So yeah. there is a ceiling for him. His floor is high, but his ceiling is not super high. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to, you can't ask for much, much more than what you've got out of Jose. You right. Know what I mean? So he is who he is and going to be what he's going to be. That's it. But that's good. It's great. Yeah. As no. long as he's able to do it, great. Not um, knocking it at all. Not knocking it at all. But you are a very small backcourt. You are a very small defensive backcourt in that regard. And that is a problem for me. And I think the two things, the Pelicans have to address this offseason. And people are going to say they, they don't need much. No, you need two things. And it's the same two things that they've needed since David Griffin took over. They need a veteran point guard, and they need a rim protector. They do not have any – you know, Larry Nance is the best rim protector you have, but he's still only 6'8". Jackson Hayes has shown no ability to, to be a, a, an effective rim protector. He hasn't blocked, you know, more than 55 shots in a season. In three years. And even though he improved, he still makes so many bonehead decisions, man. And where does he play next year? Where does Jackson play? Because Zion will be starting at the four, presumably. Zach, you, you don't start Jackson at the five. He's not your number one backup right. at the four because defensively, Nance is your number one backup at the four. He can't be your number one backup at the five because he's already shown you he can't play the five. So where, where does he fit on a team that's trying to be an elite defensive team and cannot have fall off in its second unit? Because Zion will not be an elite defensive player coming back next year. He might be an elite scorer right off the bat, but he wasn't yeah, an elite he's defender never when he been, got hurt. And yeah, he's like he's be never been that to begin year. with. You know, he's never been that to begin with. You, you and I have talked about that on many a times, how he, 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 even when it comes to his weak side help defense, it's atrocious. So, you know, people don't fear him like that. No. I, so I agree. How do you play Jags? But, but, but again, I, I just think it comes down to a cohesive standpoint for them. They, 
because they did as well as they did, I believe they want to stand pat. That doesn't make sense to me. I got you. To me, it's all about refining the edges. I know what the inside of my pie is good, right? Mm -hmm. But the last part Mm -hmm. of me lining up that crust, getting all the things, I got Ingram. I feel good about where Brandon is going mentally. I feel that he took ownership of the team this season. He made that he made that jump that was necessary that you wanted to see. You also yeah. saw him talking more. You've never seen him engage like this before. Ever. And as a and legitimate on court leader in moments, and that's what makes me say that they want to be cohesive. They want to keep the parts that they have there. That's like asking, okay, well, what's Gary Temple's purpose of being there? What's Hernan Gomez's purpose of being there? Devontae, if that's the case, you, but I mean, relative you don't to value, start making. Like, but you don't want to start making so many changes. It's not major changes, is it, to get a better backup point guard? I don't think, like, like it's not a better, it's not, if, if, if let's say if you're the Pelicans and you could get Mitchell Robinson for Jackson and get rid of Jackson Hayes and get a Mitchell Robinson. Oh. Is that not an upgrade for you? And huge upgrade. If you could get huge New Orleans well at $2 million versus Jackson Hayes at $8 million. Uh, Who's going to be better defensively for you off the bench? Value-wise, $2 $2 million? Jackson doesn't give you the value for what you're about to pay him an extension. I know. Jackson extension. And he doesn't doesn't give you the value defensively. This is a dude, he had fewer double-doubles than Billy Hernan Gomez this year, right? Fewer. No, there's no gives you no, Noel gives you nothing, though, bro. I'm just saying, I'd rather pay Nerlens two million to block a shot or two every now and then than pay J- Jacks nine million to be inconsistent every night. The Pel- the main thing that the Pelicans need going forward is while the rest rest of their youth, because you're relying on Herb Jones, I think to take Herb Jones, you're hoping he develops into maybe a Kawhi Leonard type or you know a Scottie Pippen type player. That's what you're hoping for, right? I'm with you on that. You're hoping yeah. that Trey develops into maybe a Clay Thompson type guy, guy who lock down people on the perimeter, knock down shots. And we know that Trey is a, is a very good athlete, too, that he can finish at the rim and is a good offensive rebounder at his position. Give you that. So if those two guys become your future wings, along with Brandon, as he de- continues to age into his career, entering that late 20s, early 30s, you know, part of his career, that's your wing core. Healthy Zion, obviously, is your fourth piece, right? You're accounting on Healthy Zion being a 20-plus point per game score. He's not mm-hmm. going to ever go average 10 rebounds a game in this league. I don't see that because that's just not his instinct again. It's about what your game is. But he can be one of the most dynamic interior scorers we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And then you got CJ for a good two more three years of an extended peak of his career. Right. You know, at 30 to 33 years old. So what I need now are floor raisers, the guys that I can count on if any one of my major guys gets hurt, that I know I can put out there for five to six games over the course of a season if Zion needs a week off or B.I.'s ankle acts up or if this person, if CJ's not available because something happens. I need people I know exactly what they're going to give me. And that's two or three roster spots. If I, if I eliminate Garrett Temple not knowing that he gives me nothing, that he's going to not even play a minute tonight, but I can find somebody who's at $6 million who I know if I bring them off the bench, they give me something. At that What's, Garrett making? What's Garrett making? Six. 
Okay, for Garrett Temple, I'll take a Nerlens Noel. <laughs> easily. But you know what I'm saying. Overall, it's just easily. They need more ceiling uh, floor raisers on that bench because your, your rookies are your second year guys. Najee's still learning. Herb's still learning. Trey's still learning. There's still going to be some bumps. So if you have those veterans who are actual contributors, guys that you can sit, you know, guys who vets who sit on the bench for a week that you don't like, a, you know, who don't even have to play, but they know, you know, if I tap them on the knee and say, go give me my 10 minutes tonight, they're ready to go. That's what you have to have. At the, to get to that next level, to be a 50-win team, is to know that you that your bench, at the very least, is solid. Because there's still going to be some a little bit of volatility as all these guys get balanced again. Because they got to figure out Zion and Bi's balance. Where do all these guys? Where does CJ fit into that dynamic as a three? Where does Jonas fit in that offensively too? That's that stuff is going to have to change on its own. So my but bench, I, be I, need with you. I need to know. I need to know bench is doing. I got to be honest with you. That's a very, very scary team put together right there. JV, Zion, BI, CJ, dude, at Herb. even a hundred, even at a hundred years old, well, I'm, 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 I'm starting five. Mm-hmm. Even at a hundred years old, I could come in there and be a point guard on that squad and be effective. Okay. And that's all you need is somebody who in the third or the fourth quarter, when teams did like what the Suns did. And took CJ out of the game, and were not and Bi was not able to get the shots in his comfort zone. You need somebody who can run that offense for you for a few minutes and get you into the right set. And they don't have that guy. That they, yeah, that's they, the, they have not had a veteran point guard who could say, "I know where the ball's going. Everybody, cool out. Let's, mm-hmm. let's get it going." Somebody who can still look how much they struggled at times to feed Jonas during that series. When you know that you had to get 20 points out of Jonas to counteract whatever Aiton was doing, because the mm-hmm. Suns were going to get their points inside from either Aiton or from when McGee came in, he was scoring 10 points every night. Yeah. So you had to get Jonas buckets. They didn't have somebody at times who could feed Jonas. That is a big problem for this team, and it's been one. Feeding the post has been a Pelican's weakness for six, seven years. Oh, well, it's a lost art form because it's not even a, it's not even a part of the game anymore unless you have that point guard, which I agree, that makes it a part of the game. So but dude, I don't know guy. why, which I don't know why it is so difficult to feed the post. I, I, I just don't get it. I truly do not get the difficulty in feeding the post because it ain't like the defender on the perimeter or on the ball is, 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 is you know, is impeding your passing ability to a post player. But for some reason, they don't get it to them because they live and die on the perimeter. Everything is perimeter basketball until, which is funny, if you notice in the playoffs, you don't see nearly as much perimeter play. And I tell people this all the time. I go, listen, perimeter play works during this during this during the actual year. But you see, come playoffs, if you don't have a post presence or if you're not dominant in the paint, you're not going to win. You're not going to advance. You just the Suns won because they got more t- point t- paint touches. They were always in the paint. Either they were passing from the paint or they were scoring in the paint. That's, That's it. That was the difference. And when That's the Pels won, they so, were able to do that. I'll say at this stage, you may have taken me 51-49 on Devontae. But I still, I, I still stick firm with the fact that I think they want to keep the cohesiveness because – They've seen success in the overall landscape 
and they want to give Devontae another season to see what happens. Okay. I think that's, I think, you know, and, and then the benefit to you also, you have this rookie coming in who could be a top five pick potentially who will have now, no that pressure. Changes the landscape. Now, that will have the no landscape. pressure. You're not coming in as a savior. You're going to be coming in as a top five pick that is looking to crack the rotation. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you're trying to get in the rotation. The landscape. So that that's that's something too. Is like if I've got to me, you know, people say, well, who should the Pelicans draft? Wherever they land, is take the best player yeah. who's on the board. Just take the yeah, best player because you don't have you can't you can't you're not in a position to be drafted for need. You're in a position to take the. Like they said, remember when Michael, the whole thing about Michael Jordan, when they said Portland, they told Portland asked, why would we draft Michael Jordan? We already got John Paxson and we, we, we need a center. And Bobby Knight said, he's Michael Jordan, play him as center. You take the best player. You take the best player. <laughs> Absolutely. So that's Absolutely. what I would say for the Pelicans. Take, it doesn't matter what you think you need. And that's it. For a rookie who doesn't have that pressure to come in and start, take the best player. If you need mm-hmm. it, if the best if the best on the board filled your need and you were that player away, like when the Suns drafted Aiton, that's a whole different story. You're not drafting a rookie to come in and get 25 minutes from day one. Right. You're not right. doing that. Right. And the Absolutely. odds of you hitting the lottery like you did this year and getting three rookies that you could count on in the fourth quarter, that just doesn't Dang. happen in the NBA twice. Brother, that was the golden ticket, man. Exactly. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> – you know, it don't ring and hold true like that. Oh, yeah, it's going to happen again. No, you can pretty much hang that up. You know, and I think the last class that I would compare the Pelicans class to, you remember when the Lakers got Eddie Jones in the lottery, Nick Van Exel in the second round, mm-hmm. and I think and, 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 um, Travis Knight was part of that team too. They got him, I think, as an undrafted free agent that year. And Travis Knight got all the points, and then he ended up in Boston. Remember, he got all the points, got money from Boston. Yeah. But that was their – those guys turned that thing around. Eddie Jones and, and yeah. Nick Van Exel turned that thing around. They became – and both of those guys became all-stars and, and yep. long-time, ta- long you know, yep. Nick, got, Nick got a ring. I don't think Eddie did, did but Nick got a no, ring. Eddie with didn't. Well, Eddie, well, Eddie was in Miami. And Charlotte, and you know, and Charlotte, yeah. He made yeah, he made all star teams in both of those places, but he didn't get any rings. He didn't get the rings, yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, still, dig. if yeah. that's what you got yeah. out of this class, if you get yeah. a Vic Van Exel and an Eddie Jones out of Trey and um and her and her, hey, you, you won, you won, you won, yeah, big time, big time. And I think that they do. I think I think Herb has the ability really to be if when he when he grows into his body a little bit more. And gets that adult strength, you know, NBA level strength. Mm-hmm. He can. He, bro, he's got Man, all the tools. All the I tools. truly, I truly enjoyed his tenacity in which he plays the game. At. And then the other thing that you love about him is that he plays with passion, but not with emotion. And there's a difference. He plays with cool. passion, but not the emotion. He is cold. He is he is a killer. He doesn't allow any situation to get him out of his character. He, the moment isn't too big for him. Yeah. He's not intimidated by a man across from him. Mm-hmm. That dude is a killer. And I think Trey is a killer too. I think Trey is a killer too. I really do He's believe steady. that. He's steady. Absolutely. Absolutely. He, he wants it. Like you see, Trey wants the ball. 
He wants the the assignment defensively. There are times mm-hmm. when he and Herb are on the floor defensively together, and they are their link between the two of them. You see, like Trey get a touch, and then and then Herb gets the steal, and then it, I mean, it's just those two guys complement each other so well. They feed off of each other extremely well, and that interchangeability. It's like having yes. two Doberman pinchers, you know, just following everywhere you go. It's just that mm-hmm. they, 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 those two guys can be phenomenal defenders as they get older in this league. And I think they both have good to, you know, I mean, look, Trey was the best three-point shooting rookie in the league this league year. Yeah. Best. Yeah. And it's going to yeah. get better because mm-hmm. he didn't shoot very well at the beginning of the season. And then he got hot for the rest of the course of the season, but, and he wasn't getting right. minutes early too. So I think it's only going to get better for him. And, 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 you know, I don't know if you got to hear my conversation with his dad, but his, his, his family is, his dad's a coach. You know, his dad's a coach. And the thing that I appreciate about his father understood. He said Trey wasn't ready early on. He said he wasn't ready. He didn't, he didn't get it. He said Trey could be overconfident. He said he was a little overconfident because of the summer league he had, I think. Those things, you know, he had that success. He thought he was going to come in and it was just going to be there. And mm-hmm. um, he said, he told me um, this offseason, he said, ain't nobody going to work harder than Trey, though. He said, nobody. He said, that boy, he said he's tasted it now. He's tasted it. And that's what I think a lot of these guys, that's what this was about too. You, if you, you either taste it and you say, I have to have this, you become addicted to it or you taste it and you go, Hmm, that was nice. You'll find out yes. which Pelicans this off season, come back and say, you absolutely. It's a taste of absolutely. blood in the water. I have to have it. I, I cannot absolutely. ever not taste this again. And then there'll be guys who thought that, man, that was so much fun last year. Last you year. had a blast. Let's have yes. another fun season. And those dudes, yes. First two initials, Jackson and Hayes. Um, Now, are you going to make that next jump? Now that you've gotten the taste, now that you've seen and felt what it's like, are you going to put in the work to make the next jump? Because it's not fun anymore. This isn't fun anymore. This was fun. This year got to be fun. This year got to be fun. But now, which is good. Which is good when you're building something that. That, which is good when you're building something that Dub G is trying to infuse in this team. But now, okay, all right, it's real. Listen, it's real now. The window's easy. officially open. Let me tell you what's even more fun: building off of what we did last season. Because guess what? People are now talking about this basketball team across the country. Now, what are we going to do going forward? You can't be a fluke. And we've seen yep. it. There have been so many cases in NBA history where a team got to the first round of playoffs, came out of nowhere. We thought they were going to be a great team for years to come. And you never heard from them again. Yep. You know, it was the, the Washington Bullets when they had Chris Webber <laughs> and Javon Howard and Calvert Chaney and Rashad, um, Rashid Wallace and Rod Strickland. And they go to the playoffs to play the Bulls. And everybody thought the, the, the Bullets were what was next. That's what yes. everybody thought the bullets was coming. And then you never heard from them again. Never heard from them again. Never not that not that group. So I mean we've never seen it. It's, it's it's happened, and you don't want to be that. You don't want to be that one-time fluke. You want to come back. And, the, and to me, and I, I, I'm sure I think you see it the same way. You look at the West next year, and more teams have question marks than don't. 
you know, I mean, you, you again, you hope if, if Golden State is healthy, they'll be up there at the top again. If Phoenix is healthy, Chris still be going to be a little bit older, but they'll still be at the top, near the top again. Yeah. But yeah. everybody else, Denver, I don't know. Tons Utah, of questions. I don't know. Los Angeles, Tons. even one. Both of the both of the Los Angeles teams, the only the uh, health not being a factor, everybody healthy, being where they are, the only thing that you see out the West is Golden State and Phoenix. And everybody Memphis. else and Memphis will be good. And Memphis will be better. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I agree. Other that, I mean, Dallas will be of that, good. Dallas will win games, but I don't know if they're a championship team. Luka's a great player, but I don't know if that's a championship team. Houston certainly is not. San Antonio is not. So the West is open. That fourth seed is available for to take. It is there. Absolutely. I was just ready to say that. It is there for the taking if you want it. If you want it. They got to want it. That's the key. Let's talk about a few of the guys individually. All right, let's start with Zion because that's the, the number one topic is Zion. And he's at, at the, the the closing, you know, the exit interview, Zion says, as soon as they put the extension in front of him, he'll sign it. He said he can't sign it fast enough. You have been part of these situations. You know what happens when it becomes 12.01 and the team shows up at the door. Immediately, though, immediately David Griffin says it's going to be tough communicating with Zion's camp this while we work this thing out. So if it's the deal is the deal, the rookie, the rookie maximum is what it is. We know the years, we know the numbers, right? There's no, it's, it's we know if they, they're going to offer him the max. There's no way the Pelicans cannot offer him the max. They are the Pelicans. You know what I'm saying? Like a right. different team maybe could do that. The Orleans Pelicans have to offer Zion Williamson the rookie max. So what's the question then? If David Griffin is saying there's going to be a challenge somewhere, and say, you've seen these things. What's then the challenge? Somewhere here, we already know that there's an issue that has not yet been resolved. Been resolved the numbers yep. are the numbers. Absolutely. And the hiccups that exist that David has kind of warned everybody about already. He's already warned everybody by saying, listen, we know what some of the challenges are. Whether you're knowing them or you don't know them, we know internally there's going to be some. So despite what is being said, there are things that are always going on behind the scenes that the public don't know about and won't ever know about. You and I have been in this game long enough to know there are so many things that go on behind the scenes that will never get out to the public, ever. So what those hiccups are, mainly one is a trust factor, man. It's a level of trust. The unknowing with that is huge. And I would say that's from both sides of the gauntlet because there are even some things that Zion says that he doesn't need to say. And then there are times, and then there are times that he needs to speak up where he doesn't. I found it odd, you know, and I thought what CJ talked about on, on a different podcast, he was talking about, you know, that Zion isn't talking to the media right now. And then we come to exit day and it's clear he's very nervous in front of me. It is clear. He mm-hmm. does not, he's sweating. He's sweating like he's in a police interrogation. 
He doesn't mm-hmm. like it. That tells me a couple things. Number one is whatever expectation you have that he will be the franchise player, you need to let that go. He He's saying what he needs to say. For the- a, but I'm, but he, I just don't see – I'm talking about inwardly as a player. Because that that fear, that that timid, that there's a little bit of – that there seems to still be a lack of full-on confidence in Zion sometimes mm-hmm. of himself. I think there's still this thing going on where he's trying to figure out who he is. That is a is something that's not going to be, be finished by next season, the start next season. Because no, there are a lot of things now is. mentally, in his, I think, that are at play. The doubts of not ha- not of basically missing two seasons in three years. The doubts of people talking outside, yes. The doubts of, of whose team is this now when I come back? Because Brandon Ingram has certainly established himself as the, the leader of this franchise. You know, and your painting has been on the walls across the street, but you ain't been here. So I think there are some things that are swirling inside of him that any, any me, other man in that position would have. And let me also add this caveat to it. He sat there and he's witnessed, oh, man, this team can win even without me now. This team showed up because here's the thing about it. Nobody knows what this team looks like with Zion Williamson anyway. Nobody, and that's why this that argument to me made no sense this year. When people say, "Well, if Zion," I said, "But if Zion, none of this stuff happens. You don't find out how good Herb Jones is if Zion. You don't find out none of this stuff. And CJ might not be here if Zion." Exactly, exactly. So they've shown that they have the nucleus of being a capable winning team. And what's the most the most important ability in any sport is what Dave? availability 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 dude we yeah you might be impactful on this team but you may also be a hindrance on this like, team we don't know we we don't know and it's not it's not something that you can just drop in that's the one thing i trying to get fans to understand too, is that just dropping him in, it doesn't just mean that they all get it, that everybody figures it out and understands how the balance works, because that's a lot of people who need shots because Zion is going to need 17 to 20 shots a game. Obviously you want CJ taking 15 shots a night. You want BI taking 20 shots a night. You want Jonas taking double digit shot attempts a night. So if all these people take it, how do you distribute them? How do they understand how to fit together? How are you, what, what offense is going to complement all of these people? How do you incorporate point Zion with some of these guys on the floor? How do you do all those things? That is a lot to figure out and it will not happen in the course of training camp because NBA training camp is now only three weeks long. So it's going and to take you're spending those. And you're spending those three weeks and you're spending those three weeks with, 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 a, with situations where, you don't know what you have because it hasn't been implemented. It hasn't been done. So you could all of a sudden become a regress team because now you're like, well, players are like, well, since Zion is here, we got to do more of this and less of that. You could spend more time standing around watching Zion. You could spend more time that now Zion's upset because he's not getting enough shots. And players feel like, well, hold on, dude, last year I was able to get these shots. 
Last year, I took my 15, 16 shots. So now I got to condense that down to 10 shots? Dude, again, it's, it's not a, plug it, and play. Yeah, it's, it's not. not it's something that's going to take 20, 30 games for them to figure out. So people, they may they probably won't get off to a 1-12 and 12 start. Right. But it, just don't be surprised, I think, if they get off to a tough start because it's a lot to figure out. And then, of mm-hmm. course – You've changed the defensive rotations too. You're changing, and that is their they, their key. Their ability to win is going to be determined on how consistent they are on the defensive end. And that's Zion their backbone now. That too. That's their backbone now. Because here's the thing about it: you got a weak link in that back link of Zion defensively. Also, so you got to figure that out. Also, Zion and we and we've seen it in the sample size that we have with him. His ability to get out in the pick and roll situation and defend on the perimeter and then lazily not get back to the paint and recover has been so apparent. That's also a defensive breakdown. Whereas these guys were relying on each other and they've been able to rotate in those pick and roll situations to get back and help and recover. So again, those are all unknowns that again, You can't just plug and play and say, well, he's talented. So that's going to lead to no, that doesn't it doesn't translate just because one is talented. It's a process. It is a process. They have to figure it out on the court. And that hasn't happened yet. And people need to understand that that's it's going to take some time. It's one of those now they can't get off to an abysmal start. They can't do that. Um, Oh, man, I just realized it's three forty five. Yeah, we're going to wrap it soon. Um, I got to get ready to get out and get to the office, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, the, the last thing I wanted to hit on was um, just talking about, you know, the coaching staff and the job that Willie and the rest of them did and not just developing those players, which they really did. You saw improvement um, not only in their skill set, but in their execution, their intelligence over the course of the season. Um, I just think Willie for a rookie coach, uh, did a phenomenal job in a situation where I think he was set up to fail um, initially. It, it, coming into the season, to have no Zion, to have some incomplete holes in your roster, to have only gotten the job when he did, um, I thought he was it was he was in a really bad spot, and it was a playoff from or bust season, and he found a way to drag them into the playoffs. He most certainly was dealt a bad hand, but. It goes to show you the resolve of of a coach who was a former player and the mindset of, okay, we've got to figure this out some kind of way. How do I move these chess pieces on this board to become effective, to build something in these younger guys that will also affect the rest of the people? Early on, JV was carrying this basketball team as best as he could. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if anybody disagrees with that, they truly don't know the game of basketball. JV carried this basketball team from a level of tenacity standpoint, from a level of showing you what it is to go to work with your hard hat on every single night. So Willie and and the staff, I'm sure, went back and said, okay, we know we got something with this. How do we implement that with the rest of the guys and get them to be tougher? You know what? Let's play more of the rookies and give them more time because they have this edge because they want to prove themselves. Okay. So I thought what he did was masterful 
given the conditions and circumstances in which you weren't expecting anything out of him nor this team, especially early on. But when you brought in CJ, that literally, and I'll say this, and I've said this before, CJ unfortunately was overshadowed too much in Portland playing with Dame Lillard because Dame wasn't about making other players better. Even though CJ is a prolific scorer, he's also an unselfish scorer, and he's also a team-oriented guy. How many times did we see Dame and CJ out there, and Dame is like, dude, I'm out here by myself. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And he didn't build a level of trust. CJ, on the other hand, built a level of trust. But let me also add this caveat to it. The relationship that CJ and Willie had also was a huge impact with the rest of the players on this basketball team. Unquestionably, Willie, and you saw him talking, to the players and the staff, the players felt like they could trust Willie and the staff and vice versa. The coaches put the players in position, and this is in any business. It's your job as a leader and as a director, as a manager, to put your players on your team in a position where they can be successful, not uncomfortable, and more importantly, be able to talk them through any situation when you build that level of cohesive trust between each other, good things are bound to occur. CJ was just that other. CJ and Drew are exactly alike, except for the fact that CJ is more communicative. He's a director. And again, not a knock on Drew. We know Drew was a hell of a defender. We know Drew was a hell of a player. He just for didn't the fit with this group. But it didn't, it didn't with work with this group. And CJ's intelligence and communicative aspect made a huge difference. He and also brought a too. level of professionalism. He brought a level of professionalism to this basketball team as well. And people don't realize this. Even the simple things with the way he would dress going to a game, it became business. If you notice, JV started to wear a suit. Uh, Garrett Temple started to wear suits. It's impact. And I'm not knocking the young kids or how they want to dress and all this goofy stuff. All right. But, dude, you know, be a professional. But I think I think that was a big part of it. I think him and Nance doing that, too, is that Nance, you know, he, I think he and Nance brought that to it is that you saw in practice and you saw the mindset. And then they also at the same time, were jovial enough and, and you know, they, they, they bought into the team fabric really quickly. And I think yeah. that was important for them to do that and say, we're not here to upset something. We're here to join something. And I think yeah. that's Willie's message is ultimately is this, you want to be a part of something greater. And Zion said that at his thing. And, and I, I hope he's bought in um, again. It's, it's, it's hard. You can't answer these questions. You can't, I cannot answer them for Zion because I have not seen enough of Zion. I've not, I don't know him. I, and no one can say that they do. No one outside of that franchise can say, can say that they have a strong relationship. Well, with they, Williamson. Even people, even people in the franchise can't say they have a relationship of any stability and strength there because he's very aloof and that's fine. 
But there's a certain level that you still need to have with the internal people that they don't know exactly who you are. Again, and I know you asked the question about Willie, and I think I think I've answered that for the most part. Mm-hmm. But I thought Monty, when he got let go, which by the way, just so people know, Dale Demps did not want to let Monty Williams go. I want to put that on record for you. Just for those who you, who don't know what goes on behind the scene, Dale Demps did not want to let Monty go after a playoff where the Pelicans were moving in the right direction. He didn't. I want you to know this. I know firsthand, full account of all this stuff that went on. Willie couldn't be a better match for this basketball team because I think the one thing that Willie got more than anything else from Monty was a level of calm to not let your basketball player ability always take over. You're in a different position now. And yeah, you're going to always be a player, but now you got to start thinking the game from a different perspective on how to tweak and how to move the chess pieces. And that has been extremely instrumental to Willie. I can't think of anybody else who deserves this position. I can't think of anybody else who showed that he knows the game and his assistance. But there was also a level of enjoyment. It was reminding the guys, basketball is supposed to be fun, fellas. It's supposed to be fun. But it's fun when you do the work. It's fun when you put in the work and you see the results that go with that. So they, they wanted the fun without the work. And that I think and I think that's what the problem for Alvin and for Stan was in communicating in two different ways. Alvin, I think, really wanted to reach those guys. I think he did. But he it was it was I think it was messed up. You know, that was that season was messed up from jump. Mm-hmm. Um, but he couldn't reach him. But we also knew. But we also knew one integral player that was on that team who didn't want to work, right? Because he would have pushback with Monty. He didn't want to work, and everybody found out later on who that player was, and that he didn't want to work, and he just wanted to be buddy buddy and friends. And well, look at how that's turned out. Okay. So, and I think you know with Stan, it was these guys needed they needed some a message of. Again, they needed to figure out something, how to be successful. And I think Stan's problem, you can do that with veterans and tell them, you ain't, this ain't right. You can tell veterans that. This, that doesn't, they, they, they get it because they, they know how to keep you, sh- to shut you up. Young players, I think what Willie figured out was, all right, here's what you're doing well first. And then I'm going to come and deal with what you did wrong. I think he Stan went you through like, the other order for a lot of those guys. And that, he was that building, that. And mind you, Stan was an old school coach. So that's the way he knew how to do things. Okay. Uh, Alvin, this is where I look at it. Alvin and Stan were the two extremes and Willie was the perfect in between. Mm -hmm. Stan Mm -hmm. was too much of an old school hard nose. Alvin was too much of a player friendly guy, which is the same guy he was when I came out of college and he was coaching the the Clippers. He was too much of trying to be buddy, buddy. And there was no level of sternness. Stan was too stern and didn't know how to bring that down. He was too intense all the time. And Willie was the perfect mesh of the both of them, but he knew how to, okay. Just like you said, 
Let me give you the 10 things that you're doing correct first. Because unfortunately, we live in a society, just went through it earlier this morning with some. 90% you could be directly on target, but people are gonna focus on what? Well, look at the 10% you did wrong, but look at the 90% that is right. Society has embedded in so many people, look at the 1% that you did wrong. Well, look at the 99% that was done right. And that's what Willie has been able to do. And then when you have guys who buy into it and they see the results, like we've said before, it makes his job much easier. You've even seen, when was the last time you've seen the, the Pelicans practices being fun and guys smiling and enjoying themselves and the work that was being put in? They're working, but they're liking each other. Yeah, I think they're this was as good as it's been since, since like I said, since they were the Hornets, when it was yeah. the Crescent City Connection group, when David West, Chris Paul, David West Tyson. they had that kind of relationship. Yeah. Those guys yeah. amongst themselves, they were, they were that tight. And I think Absolutely. this is the first time you're seeing that kind of cohesion since then. Because even the two teams, even Monty's last Pelic, you know, Pelicans team that made it and lost to the Warriors in round one, and even right. Alvin's playoff year, there was still fractures in those locker rooms yeah. in different places of guys who had mixed agendas. Um, and I think that you know that was wasn't that's why those things were never going to last. That's why that first run didn't turn into an extended run. That's why that second one was done as soon as it was over. And we don't have to go rehash that. But you know that's the thing. I think different the difference this time is that you have some type of a real connectivity of guys who say, all right, we're on the same page. But I tell fans this too. You can't fall in love with all 12 of them. Can't fall in love with 15 guys because some of your favorites will not be around next year. Are going to be moved. That's at the some nature point of next year, business. somebody's going. It just ha- That's the nature of the game. Yeah, that's the nature of the business. But I'm going to close with this because, of course, I got to run. It was very successful for the Pelicans as not just the team, but for the city, for the culture, and the direction in which this team can go. But you cannot rest on your laurels of last season because now you've got a different outlook and target on your back that other teams have seen what you can do now. So now they're going to start moving some of their chess pieces. It's all about what do you do now going forward. That's right. That's right. And we'll see what happens. But I agree with you. I think this was a very successful season. It was an entertaining season. Um, The way that they played was good to watch as somebody who loves, you know, just watching basketball. I I said that Herb Jones, in my opinion, is one of the top three rookie defensive players I've ever seen. Um, Hands down. Hands down. That alone, I like I could have watched. You could have given me 25 minutes of Herb Jones defense every night and I'd have been all right. But, you know, yeah, the the. The future is bright if things continue. But that is, again, you're always hoping. These are human beings. So you are mm-hmm. always hoping that human beings take the next step in their careers. Some people will not be better next year. That's the nature of every team. Some people right. will be better next year. Some people will be worse next year. It's who those people are and when you decide to get them out of rotations or trade them or whatever. So it's a whole, it's, it, it's, it's a whole different season. It's a whole different group of people. Really, it's it's just it'll be different. But this year, this team deserves all the respect and accolades that they get. And Pelican fans, don't wait until midseason or until the see they make a playoff push to show up in the SKC. 
be, be there and show your support from the beginning. Zion or no Zion, Ingram or no Ingram, you got to be there now. You, you, be there. You've asked for it, too. Like, now you, the Pelicans fans have asked for it, too. They want the smoke. Yep. So, yeah. show up. Show up. You wanted, to see, you wanted to see the product and the winner on the court? Well, you got it. And you wanted the national attention. And you got it. Yep. So, yes, sir. You got to yes, show sir, up. my brother. All right, my man. Um, my brother. Well, pleasure. Always, bro. Always, and, uh, we'll man. We'll do it again sometime in the offseason once they start making some moves. And we'll start evaluating that. Or we'll get – probably we'll get to the finals. We can talk about the NBA finals when we get to that. Um, yeah. We'll let the playoffs play out. But let's do some final stuff. Yeah, because um, Milwaukee, they just went on ahead and took care of Boston. Giannis is still a – Giannis, still the Giannis is still Giannis. He imposes his will and he leaves his imprint on every game, bro. The will is greater than the skill. Bro. Greater than the skill. That's All the right. way it is right there. I like that. The will is greater than the skill, my brother. Until the next time. Till the next time, my brother. Ben, high, low with the Dean. I'm David Grubb. This is hard to paint. Y'all be cool. Hard to paint.